is the Amadon Planet Podcast, episode 32. I am your host, Joel Amadon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. So, so thankful for everyone out there who's been listening. It seems like the podcast is gaining some momentum. Seeing folks out there with the Be The Good shirts, seeing folks out there talking about things that they heard about in the podcast. Just some great things, uh, just some positive momentum. And what I'd like to do is put an invitation out there. If you have ideas for things that we should put on the podcast, we're going to be pretty consistent with content coming out in the near future. So, But if you have ideas on what we could do to figure out how to teach better, go ahead and sign up for the Amazon Planet download, which if you go to AmazonPlanet.com and click on the join the email list, you'll get access to periodic emails from me uh, on things and resources and you know things that are happening in Amazon Planet. And you can just respond to any of those emails, and then it'll come back, and we'll, if you have ideas, uh, technology, a question, whatever, things that we should cover on the podcast, we would like to have some input from you. So that's the easiest way to do it. Also, you can hit me on social media, all at Amazon Planet, either on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. But today on the podcast, it's exciting, is Shamiqua Ellis, a doctoral student here at the University of Mississippi, experienced English educator and leader of the School of Education Summer Book Club, where she, we all selected, actually we, we group selected, the book Not Light But Fire, How to Lead Meaningful Race Conversations in the Classroom by Matthew R. K. And Shamiko did a great job facilitating the discussion, lots of great learnings from this book, so I thought, you know what, this is a good candidate for the podcast. And Shamiko was willing to join me on the podcast, which is great because she is awesome. She comes with a lot of energy, lots of experience, and we had a great conversation that I want to share with you now. So let's not delay any further, but before we do, before we jump into that conversation, just a quick disclaimer, in no way will we be able to communicate the whole value of the book, and even if we did, it would be from our perspective. In other words, if you like what you hear, go get the book for yourself. Links to purchase the book can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 32, or seek it out wherever you buy high-quality books like this one. If possible, try to support your local bookseller, like Square Books here in Oxford, Mississippi. Oh, I love Square Books. All right, without further delay, here's my conversation with Shamiko Ellis on the book Not Light But Fire, How to Lead Meaningful Race Conversations in the Classroom by Matthew R. K. Shamiqua Ellis, thank you so much for uh, joining me on this episode of the Amazon Planet Podcast. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and so, so glad that you're willing to come on. How are you doing today? Awesome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be here and really grateful to spend this time chatting about an amazing book with an amazing professor. <laughs> oh, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't start me like that. I've been blushing. All right. <laughs> well, how, well, why don't you why don't you introduce yourself uh, to the listeners? I mean, I've had a, the pleasure of seeing you in your the doctoral program, but uh, with, why don't you just share a little bit about yourself to the listeners before we get, jump into this book? Hello everyone, my name is Shamiqua Ellis. I currently am a doctoral student at the University of Mississippi in their PhD in English education program. And I supervise student teachers for the university and I teach undergraduate education courses. Uh, before uh, coming to the university, I worked for Teach for America Mississippi. I taught fifth grade in Oxford, Mississippi. I taught in high school. I taught high school English in St. Louis, Missouri, my hometown for nine years. And I taught in Nantong, China at Nantong University. I love teaching. I um, 
love kids and I love to learn and I love to read. So living in my passion and sharing my joy with other educators is something that I'm lucky enough to do. And um, that's pretty much who I am. You share your passion and you share your energy. I think if anyone has seen you in the uh, halls of the School of Education at the University of Mississippi is uh, can attest to like you, you, uh, you definitely have an energy about you and, and the excitement about doing the work that you're doing. So, um, so how did we get to, to reading this book, Not Light But Fire? Because I, I was excited for the opportunity this summer, but you kind of led the charge. You want to give a little insight? So I actually stumbled across this awesome book. You see all these uh, marks. Yeah, there are post-its <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> well, I told you I'm a doctoral student, so yeah, I'm, yeah. In, I'm in dissertation mode. So mm -hmm. uh, for my dissertation, I was looking at what are some of the barriers or challenges that teachers have experienced when they try to have meaningful conversations about race in the classroom? What, what are the successes and what are the barriers? And I stumbled across this book. Uh, I thought it was phenomenal. So I did what teachers do, we share. Mm -hmm. And I shared it with some of the other faculty here at the University of Mississippi. And uh, we have a very, very awesome dean, Dr. David Rock, suggested that we do a book club. And so I put it on the list and this actually got the most votes. I had no idea that uh, we were getting ready to have the summer that we had. Mm -hmm. um, and it just was very timely uh, and appropriate, profound read and very, very uh, relevant and helpful. Yeah, so the, this book, Not Light But Fire, How to Lead Meaningful Race Conversations in the Classroom by Matthew R.K. And I think I've seen some uh, some tweets from him, uh, you know, over the summer where, you know, people were like not being able to find the book. There's so many that are flying off the shelf. So I think, you know, people saw this as filling a need uh, when, you know, people thought, hey, we need to start having these conversations in a classroom. And, you know, for me, and I teach math education, you think like, you know, some might be listening out there and saying like, well, why would you be having race conversations in a math classroom? And like, you can have lots of race conversations in a math classroom. Like there's a lot of mathematics within it. And you're talking about disproportionate representation of students in special education program. Like we've had some of these conversations where there's lots of math out there. And even uh, one of the other podcasts that I'm a host of is with the uh, teaching math teachers. We did a whole thing on um, this uh, book called High School math lessons to explore, understand, and respond to social injustice. And a lot of those subjects within there are topics that are addressed in some of those math lessons are around race. And so being able to be feel equipped into having those types of conversation, I think this book does a great job of setting the stage for it. So I'm so thankful that you, um, you brought it, you brought it to the group and, and that Dean Rock was willing to uh, let us all get a chance to, uh, to read it this summer. Absolutely. So, um, so he organizes the book, and I don't know, as a as a teacher of English, and you know, he has some uh, in thinking about how he sets up the book and, and letting it like some of the practices that he has. Like, um, how did you think about how he set up the book in the in the way that he introduces some of the concepts that he's bringing in uh, to play in this book? So. I thought it was well organized. Um, I could definitely tell that he was an English teacher. <laughs> well written, well organized. And 
I mean, it kind of, he kind of opens it up like you would start a paper. Like, this is what this book is about. Mm -hmm. He lets you know this is not a why book. This is a how book. This is a how book. Uh, and I loved how he opened it up and made it clear because, of course, I was dissertating and I had hundreds of books. So I'm like skimming, like, what is this one about? Oh, he's actually going to get into how to do it. We already know we need to be at. And I mean, um, it actually hooked me at the very beginning when he was talking about his experience, what brought him into uh, writing about these topics and really, really exploring these issues. Um, and then he just digs right in with how, giving examples. I liked how he broke it up into two parts. Yeah. Very well organized, easy to read, phenomenal quotes, very direct and authentic. Um, he challenges himself in this book, but he also yes. challenges his students and other educators. He talks about his experiences in the classroom, experiences doing PD, and his experiences as a, a student being mm -hmm. educated. He opens up that actually brought him to, okay, I'm going to write a book about this. Yeah. I think about, yeah, from powerful. It kind of just kind of showed the need, how we got to this point. He really opens it up well and it flows well. And I also really like how at the end of each chapter, he kind of sums it up and gives yeah. tips. So it's consistent. Yeah. And actually giving like, like here are some things you could do. And like, Absolutely. you know, saying like the, the how part, you know, you, the part one is the ecosystem. Part two is a study of conversations. So the part one is like setting the stage for how do you create the environment to even have these sorts of conversations. And, you know, he says things that are like, you know, kind of like, uh, I want to say obvious things, but like they are like hey, build relationships. You got to, you can't just walk into a classroom like, Hey, we're going to have this really heavy conversation. You have no idea who's in the room. Right. And to build those relationships and thinking about how do you do that? And even, um, and thinking about like the, some actual practices that he executes on a, in a weekly or monthly basis in order to build those relationships. So to create the environment and then actually to give you know, like four chapters of examples on, on how to, and how this, how what he set up plays out actually within conversations. And it's pretty amazing. Pretty, I mean, pretty practical, but, but gets at it from a, a very uh, academic way as well. Absolutely. And I think um, what helps it be so practical is he gives examples at the end, but it's also, even though it's academic, it's centered around student voice. Right. He constantly has excerpts from students, their opinions, their writing, their responses. Um, he talks about what his reflections were when he did it with students. So that makes it also makes it practical and approachable mm -hmm. for educators and people at different levels, especially when you're talking about people who are interested in social justice or how to be culturally relevant in the classroom. You've got people at different levels. This is good for introductory and intermediate, depending on where you are on the spectrum. Right. And, and I thought that the, the whole, you know, the reasoning behind the title of the book that he gets at in the introduction when he talks about Fred, Frederick Douglass's speech where talking about it's not light but fire that is needed, right, to shed light onto it. It's like, how do we move to the next conversation? And right, because, you know, conversations have been had and, and I think sometimes this is you, you get you pay lip service to certain things like, yes, we stand for social justice and yes, we want equality. But like what? actually are you doing about it and like it it gets me thinking like um we did a there's another book club on um how to be anti-racist and talking about racism versus anti-racism and you know like 
or versus non-racism, right? And, and like, just to not do anything, like to keep these status quo conversations or like, you know, hey, that's not in, we're not gonna have those conversations in this classroom. Or like to, we, we, you know, I treat everyone the same, right? That non-racist sort of approach, like, well, if it's non-racist and there's systemic racism happening, you're still moving with racism, right? And to actually do something against it, to move, like he's saying, to that next conversation, we need to have the tools and equipping in order to do that. And I think he's providing that here. And I, I like the, the motivation behind the title. And I see that this book offers a way for us to move to that next level of conversation and not just sit with the status quo. Absolutely. There's a awareness and there's allyship and then action. Yeah. So let's, so speaking of, let's, let's, just uh, as uh, two teacher educators, and uh, let's think about what are some lessons that we've learned. And so get jumping right into the categories and sticking to our high five and thinking about what are five learnings that we had. We can go a little tennis style. We can go bounce back and forth a little bit and see uh, if you want to give one first, and then I'll, I'll come back with one, and we'll go from there. Well, sure. So one that I definitely recall, and it's on page 40 in the book, he just talks about how important it is for educators to actually begin with a self-assessment. Mm. They need to reflect on how their own racial experiences and perspectives influence their ability to hear and properly respond to other perspectives. If you're going to have a meaningful conversation, um, you know, it starts with you. Reflect on your experiences and um, your expectations and perspectives. And how open are you and how equipped are you when you get exposed to different perspectives and experiences? Yeah, I, I have that underlined right at the bottom of page 40. Because, <laughs> I mean, I think that is one of the things that I keep coming back to is something that, I don't know if it was a not, a, I don't know what the right term is, not aware or just um, not sensing it or, or, or just talking it out right like like my own experiences in a math classroom like that scene that my my experience as a white male in a you know primarily all white school up in wisconsin and thinking about even just like the the math teachers that i had were white males and you know and like thinking like when i struggled like i still saw someone that looked like me up front like doing the mathematics like this even that slight little thing maybe like being reassured like I, I can do this like i'll be fine and like not even an acknowledging that there was privilege and there was uh you know positionality in my own like path to becoming a teacher and not seeing that till later right you know and like not um not acknowledging and pointed out or being reflective about it and think like not everyone in my class has having the same experience you know even like thinking about my first test when i you know, if I said something, I thought my students would receive it because like, that's how I did it. You know, I just like, you know, I, I have a good memory and I remember, you know, I'll do it. I'm supposed to do. And that was a very procedure based, of, you know, kind of approach to mathematics. And that was, hey, I kind of thought everyone was like that. And it's not. And like having that reflection on your own, your own experiences and, you, and who you are and your positionality and all that, I think this is so important. And just to like that, it's almost like a foundational piece. Absolutely. You want me to go next? Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I thought the guidelines for conversational safe space on page 13 
was interesting. Um, oh no, uh, not page that. There we go. The uh, on page seventeen actually. So he had these guidelines, these three guidelines um, to establish a you know safe safe space to have these conversations. So we're going to uh, the guidelines were to listen patiently, listen actively, and police your voice. And he kind of reinforces that throughout. I mean, I thought having those sorts of, you know, like, hey, these are the, these are the guidelines. This is what makes up a safe, because, and like you said in here, sometimes we say those words, oh, this is a safe place. This is a safe space. And like, you know, is it just safe from physical harm? Because, you know, or like, I remember I wanted to, my classroom to be safe. I didn't want anybody ever to say, shut up to anybody. Like you'd never said that in my class. Like I wanted voices to be heard, but he goes to the next level of doing all these sorts of things of listening patiently, actively and policing your voice um, to make sure that we're giving space for everyone to contribute. We're also, when people do contribute that we're acknowledging that as like a gift that they're putting out into there. And I thought those were really one easy to remember. And, and, and I love the way that he shows them throughout, um, those sorts of guidelines. I don't know. Just curious, like when, you know, you had uh, your classroom, you know, when you were teaching in the, uh, uh, in the secondary level, what, how, what kind of guidelines did you use, Shamiqua? So I have several different guidelines because I normally would let my students pick mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Um, ultimately, my number one rule was respect. Yeah. I would always have the kids talk about what does respect mean to them because i mean as this is an awareness thing as right. you um have experiences you know i was originally i was brought up where you treat people the way you want to be treated yeah but now i'm experiencing that no you need to treat people the way they want to be treated mm. <laughs> sometimes i you know for example um some people want you to call them doctor mm. And then some people are like, no, I really prefer you to call me Joe. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh -huh. <laughs> so you want to treat people the way they want to be treated. Uh, some students think that yelling is disrespectful. Some people don't want to be touched. Mm -hmm. Some people don't want to high five. Actually taking the time to get to know your students and building those relationships is important. What does, and making it clear, you can't assume what respect looks like and sounds like and feels like to you. Yeah. Um, respect to me is you making eye contact when I am talking to you, mm -hmm. saying yes, ma'am, or no, thank you. Respect is not putting books on the floor. Right. That's my pet peeve. I, I can't stand for a book to be on the floor. Books are so important to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so, and I need to let the students know that we respect school property. Yeah. We, we want nice books. We want to keep them nice. Right. So... Um, I would have conversations and we would make down rules and depending on each class, you know, you would hear different things. Does this feel or sound like respect to you? How mm -hmm. do you talk to each other? Yeah. Come into class. Is it okay to walk across the room when somebody is speaking? Mm. You know, right. those type of things and really having that conversation. I got a lot of interesting things from students. Yeah. Like, so like, that was pretty much my protocol. We talk about respect and it really touched on so many different things. So like co-creating what the class needs to feel safe and thrive in, in your Absolutely. classroom. Absolutely. Love that. My cooperating teacher, uh, when I was uh, way back when, 
uh, Joe Dye, he did something similar. Like he would like collect, like, what, what do we need to feel safe and thrive in this classroom? And even down to what the temperature is in the room to, you know, like, how do you, you know, feel good? Like with raising your hand, you want to just write things down, like things like that, that are listening to your students. Right. And that's also, you know, you feel like a welcome part because you're, you know, you're co-constructing what makes sense for how we're going to respect each other. Like you just said, yeah, that's excellent. Um, I like too that in the that he puts in the uh, the math of it in page thirty seven. You'd like you you knew I would like this. So, of course. <laughs> yeah, on page thirty seven, he like lists like how much time it would actually take to do these uh, these things. Like that's uh, twelve percent of his class he does to building and maintaining a healthy classroom climate. And like you think like twelve percent of your time to make it so a space where people feel safe and can thrive. I mean, that, that's a bargain right there, I think, you know, and to using that time well. Um, and you think like how much how much time you, by investing in those relationships, investing in the classroom climate, like you're making it so the environment that you, the rest of the time, the 88% is a quality experience where we're getting as much done as we can uh, and, and, you know, be able to have these kinds of conversations that build us towards a, a better understanding, better learning that's happening. And so what, I mean, it's a great investment in my <laughs> absolutely absolutely that kind of touches on what i was going to talk about and um dr amadon on things that i learned i really like because i mean we've all been in a classroom and it feels like you just never have enough time hmm. and um i really like how he broke down the map of look if you just spend this much it will actually save you on the back end because yeah, you won't yeah. be having to, you won't have to address all these off-task behaviors you won't have to repeat yourself Right. Um, kids will be engaged. So it actually solves a problem. And uh, things that I learned from this book and people he kind of shares are some good community builders and habits and routines mm -hmm. that don't take a lot of time, but give you create big wins in the long run and really, really start establishing the relationships and the rapport that you need for a safe space and just a healthy, productive classroom environment, student teacher relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, he taught, I really like the ideas he gives on, he gives like three really cool relationship building burn five, like yeah. five minutes. You get to know the kids mm -hmm. or one, the basketball game, things like that. Right, and then, right. um, uh, high grade compliments. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And then the third one was good news sharing good news. I actually um, have been implementing that in my undergraduate courses and the kids love it. They Me too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. They're prepared for good news. And I must say it really helps me get to know students and names, right. their lives, things that I normally would never known about them. Mm -hmm. I find out, Oh, you're pregnant. You have a, you have, you were in a wedding. You're yeah. dead. You're from so and so. You like to fish. Right. Like all these cool things, good news. It really makes a difference. And uh, students start making connections with others, things that they have in common. And I, I've seen uh, um, some research on that with uh, something about the, developing the, the relationships, not only between the teacher and the student, like that there's something there, even like that, even if the student is not even aware of it, that there's commonalities between the teacher and the student that they become aware of can help facilitate them and begin investing in, in the content because they see like, oh, there's like this, I don't know, I like to think of it as like you're building a conduit with which the, you know, the teaching and the lessons can then travel through. And I mean, again, the investment of that time in order to build so that you can have quality interactions within the classroom is just uh, so valuable. 
but yeah, that whole, that whole thing of all of those different practices is really like tangible things you could do. And, and what I love about it is by sharing those things, you might not think like, oh, I'm going to do those things exactly, but you can kind of see, here's what, it, it's not that hard, like, right. To say, Hey, let's share some good news. And like, what else could we do in that area? Like, how can we give high grade compliments? What are some things? And I bet you there's so much creativity that's been spun off of this because once teachers get ideas, they start rolling with them and start thinking of other ideas that they could do to, again, build this ecosystem, this safe conversational space. But that really actually got me into my next one, which it, it really, I can think kind of plays right off. It is these um, conversational packages that he's talking about. Like developing, like it's almost like your conversational toolbox of of things that you would do in order to um, think like collaborative, almost think of them like as collaborative learning structures. These things like, oh, we're gonna do a think pair share. Which as soon as you say those three words, it it means something. If you've established that as a routine in your classroom, it's like, oh, the students know how to execute. It's like a play on the basketball court, right? You're like, oh, you know, we're gonna run play one. We're gonna run think pair share. And it's like everyone knows their places and what to do in order to execute it. And so having a set package of, of different structures that you can use, I can think of some that I would use, like one of them was called dinner party, where you would um, mingle around. And then I would say a certain number, you would get in that many in a group, and then you would have a conversation about a question uh, that we would do. And so same thing could happen. Um, uh, that could be part of my conversation package, right? And so I wonder, did, did, do you have anything in your conversation package? Do you have any structures that you like to use in your class? So yes, I, I refer to this quite a bit and you can do all kinds of things with it. Mm -hmm. I call it a three, two, one. Mm -hmm. So we discuss, I have the students discuss three things that they learned. Yeah. And then the next, the two is two ways that they would apply it in their practice. Mm -hmm. And then one is one question that they still have. Nice. And I get great feedback. I get great questions. You really get a chance to see what people actually processed and what they're still chewing on and what needs to marinate a little longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And so it's a good gauge for me. And I kind of see, okay, so we got this, but I need to touch on this a little more. And mm -hmm. I always learn things. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. What's, what's another one you had? Any other learnings for you? So another learning is I know that um, people often talk about not being a sage on a stage. Yeah what does facilitating actually look like in a classroom? Mm -hmm. And being in teacher education, I think we're constantly trying to teach our future teachers and our pre-service teachers how to facilitate. He really, really goes into detail on what dialogic pedagogy is, mm -hmm. what, why it's important, the why, what, and how. Right. Um, and he just gives vivid, direct examples on 228. I just wrote, he kind of, he reiterates, I'm facilitating. And then he talks about what that looks like. Operating as the conversations traffic cop, offering orientation before, summary after, inserting clarification when needed. So he's giving you a visual of how to facilitate. Right. 
and really making sure you're policing your voice because it's not about you. It's about mm-hmm. making sure that the students' voices are being heard right. and respected and encouraged. That's what a good facilitator does. Right. And I think that was a really good point to make. Um, another one that I put on this page because I just found it really powerful as an English teacher, a part of our job is really, really teaching persuasive writing and getting kids to understand all the um, rhetorical techniques. Well, you can do that. But he really, really touches on a big point on why it's so important. Like we are literally preparing people to be critical thinkers and leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, He states, students need to learn how to articulate their opinions amid direct scrutiny. Mm-hmm. They must not will at the slightest pressure from a perceived authority. Also, we hope to inspire a generation of students who realize the most ideas improve through pruning. So as an English teacher, I'm thinking about the writing process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how it improves through pruning. Mm-hmm. You need to be okay with scrutiny, teaching kids how to edit, how to give feedback, how to be a critical friend. Right. And how to defend. I mean, this is higher level thinking. If you can't defend why you feel the way you feel, feel, are you sure you feel that way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, in writing and in uh, critical thinking and in analysis and in argument, you need to be able to state your point clearly and support it with evidence. Defend it. Mm-hmm. If you can't, you need to go back and read. <laughs> yeah. And not just something that you've been given, right? Like, you know, like, hey, here's a point here. Here's an argument. Here's points behind it. But like, and like, here you go on a platter versus like, no, how can I make sense of this for myself and make sure that the points are it makes it makes sense and aligned with my own beliefs, my own things that I have. And what better place to do that pruning and refining than in the safe place of like for this an English classroom, right? That he's talking about. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that kind of made me uh, think about, there's another book that I read this past summer. I read a lot of books over the summer. <laughs> um, there's one called Rough Draft Math. It's called oh, Revising wow. to Learn. And so I thought you'd like this. So it's taking the idea of a rough draft into the math classroom and talking about presenting unfinished thinking as a way to participate in the space, right? And that people's bringing in their thinking like that might be, um, uh, you know, that it's to a certain place where I'm willing to share, but it, we want to, as a collective, make it better. And in one of the chapters in there, it just talks about what's all the different ways that you could make the thinking better. You can make it more elegant. You could make it more reasoned. You can make it more, um, you know, uh, understandable from different levels. Like there's all sorts of like a whole, like, you know, 10 to 15 ways you can make a mathematical argument better. But like thinking of that, like, you know, better can look a bunch of different ways, right? In, in, in order to think like, how That's can we do order that? Thinking. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. Take something, if you can defend it, that's higher level. Yeah. And, and like having it, you know, okay, so now it's, that's good, but now it's really long. How can you make it shorter, right? So that you <laughs> stay within people's attention span, right? You know, all that sort of thing. So like, what a great, uh, what a great thing to think about, like, using this space as a place to engage in those critical thinking, like 
because you know we probably need those skills right in these days maybe just a little bit <laughs> but that made me um think about like uh one thing that i saw was the intentionality behind the conversations i think sometimes you know folks they see something like oh i want to talk about that but they're not thinking about what are the purposes behind that what's the intentions or what's the um motivation behind those conversations so he had two things oh yeah yes uh the two things i was gonna point out was like on 116 in the book if i'm gonna page there real quick like he talks about some of these like uh personal catalysts right so you know he has these this list of personal catalysts that he said are not necessarily bad but let's like some of them like are they for the benefit of your students? So we have the race conversation to, I, I don't know how to assuage our guilt. And if I said that, pronounce that right. Um, we have the conversation to be cool. We have the conversation to point out the elephant in the room. We have the conversation for the status that comes with raising an army. We have the conversation because we just like talking to them. And like those sorts of things, like, is it, are these what I'm, you know, is this the motivation behind this conversation? Is this, should I be having this conversation if these are the primarily the motivations? And then on counter that, not counter that, but instead he puts out these propositions on the next page, on page 120. Um, it says proposition, propositions that ensure purpose, right? So that make sure that we're doing these things for, or we're talking about these things for a, pur uh, a purpose that's, um, you know, for lack of a better term, noble, I think, uh, that's like for the purpose of benefiting the students. And so if the race conversation about a hard problem provides space and time for students to locate their sphere of influence and to explore personal pathways to solutions, right? We're not just sitting here just to bring up trauma, right? We're just, we're trying to do something about it. Uh, proposition two, design race conversations that encourage students to follow new lines of inquiry, right? Well, that's something interesting. Why don't we go take a look at that? What, how can we investigate that more? Uh, or proposition three, students should be encouraged to publish whenever they feel ready. This opportunity must be built into the culture of the classroom. Like, all right, now that we've figured out something, how do we put something out into the world? Um, those I thought that were- action piece. That oh, action. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wonder what's, um, you know, how you can tap into this, you know, sort of these desires of, you know, wanting to yeah, activate. And so how do you, how do you help them say it's, this is not just contained in this classroom, right? This is about moving out into the world. Makes what's happening in the, in the classroom much more relevant to their lives, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think sometimes, you know, the, well, one was, you know, these intentionality behind conversations. So one, this was about the purpose, but then two, he, you know, he, he talked about these different types of conversations, like the designed one versus the pop-up conversation or, you know, about creating the space. There's very much intentionality there. And then, but the one that I really liked was the idea of ending well. And so in uh, one of the chapters- yes, where, he's big on summary, oh, yeah. summing it up, making sure everybody, yes. Yeah, and like, I thought that was really interesting because I think there's too often, and I heard this, comment and i didn't know um or this uh, phrase and I, I hadn't thought about it yet but it was like it's called the um a doorknob comment or a doorknob question like you're on your way out of the office or you're on your way out of somewhere and someone says something to like it like basically opened up a huge can of worms and then they leave you know like like we're about to end the zoom meeting and like hey by the way blah 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 and then like all right we're done you know like there's no time what? to process yeah 
I mean, how frustrating is that? And to, and to acknowledge students' feelings and want to say like, hey, how are we going to summarize this? How are we going to end this well? And he has a really good, um, uh, and I, I highlighted one of the instances in 161, and, um, and he talked about making sure there's enough time, um, complimented everyone uh, on their focus and their choices and listening. So again, reinforcing some of those norms he established, some of those guidelines, uh, expressed gratitude for their openness and their willingness to disagree without being too combative, right? And thinking about ideas over people uh, or thinking about, you know, talking about ideas and not people, right? Um, and for, reassured them that we would be spending the next few weeks exploring some of this, hey, we're gonna come back to it. And, you know, we're not finished yet. There's, there's loose threads happening and to figure out what decisions, agreements, and action items. I really love that. Decisions, agreements, and action items. We, so like we've, we've got something here. We, this conversation led to something. What, what decisions, agreements, or action items do we have off of this? And like, what a, um, maybe satisfying or like, but to give kids something like that, like one of these things where we're gonna end this conversation with, yeah, we're not done. We, we didn't solve the world's problems, but we've got something that we as a group have come up with. Like, I don't know. I, I thought that was, that felt like gold to me. I don't know. What about you? Well, absolutely. Because I mean, the rigor mm. and the wealth of these conversations is so rich that you have so much going on and you, you've been in a class where it was like, wow, you kind of need to sum it up at the end. Like, okay, these are the big takeaways because there's so much, and then you have people who are at different places in the spectrum. Some people are just at awareness, some people are at, I'm already an ally, and then some are already in action mode. So it's kind of like, what I may be able to process as an intermediate may be different from somebody who's just starting out. Mm -hmm. So that summing it up at the end and recap is really important because I mean, if I'm still like, oh, wow, this was good. I want to make sure that I remember everything. And yeah. then especially kids are taking notes. And yeah, it's yeah. good practice. I mean, oh, yeah. if you, you write the way you talk. And I'm hoping that you're introducing things, giving the why, what, how, mm -hmm. and summing it up at the end. So I think it's a good practice, a pedagogical practice, but it's also a good writing practice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and when you're speaking to students and teaching, you know, you need to repeat yourself. There may be something somebody didn't hear or something they need to hear again, because sometimes when something's really good and really rich, you hear it more than once and you get more than one interpretation. Right. Well, that just, I mean, from a, just a teach, there's those magic moments that happen in the classroom and like he's captured a bunch of them. I mean, in here where there's like these conversations and like the fact that he's got almost, it's almost like another thing in his conversational package, right? Like, Oh, 10 minutes ago, we yes. need to do this routine of we're going to summarize. I'm going to acknowledge, I'm going to express gratitude. We have loose threads, but what decisions agreements or action items do we have going forward? Like thinking about it, if I got really rolling, Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, excellent. I mean, I'm thinking like I have two, I mean, I do not end well classrooms. That is one thing that was, so when I saw this, I'm like, there we go. That's, that's what I need to, cause too often I'll get so excited. And in the moment I'm like a, you know, a, a squirrel time looking gets away from you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Time gets away. And all of a sudden it's like, ah, we're going to do blah, blah, blah. And he's just not, and 
don't end well. And so like having these routines and thinking about, you know, the, the, the math lessons from the social injustice, if we get going on some topic and it's, these are all messy problems where it's not just, Oh, the answer is three. No, it's like, there's some big ideas happening and, and to acknowledge, okay, we have this much time left. We've done lots of mathematics. We've addressed these issues and things like that. What do we know going out of this, you know, and, and, and to be, thankful for all the interactions that's happening, acknowledge that we're not done yet. We, we, we did some good work together, but now what of our things going forward and to engage in writing, like, for, you know, some people might think, oh, a good writing thing, that's good for English classroom. It's good for math class. It's good for any classroom to, to process your thinking through writing, being able to express yourself, to actually say like what you did today, you know, <laughs> like to being able to say that, you know, and, and like to think there's some real value there and to what does it mean to, to your own, view on how the world works i mean i that was just when i saw that i was just like and i mean i've got several uh, <laughs> i wrote so much there but it's like um acknowledging that the time like he did before the math of you know how do i establish this ecosystem to the math of i need to invest time in making sure we end well because otherwise their investment of time in like really engaging in conversation is like well we didn't come up with anything right? We just kind of ended and it never led to anything versus he's saying, we are going to end this well. And I, I really appreciated that. That was, that was I'm taking that one. <laughs> um, anything, any other learnings that you had, Shamiqua? Um, so many, I can go on and on. I know. Yeah. There's so much here. It was so rich. And it's one of those that I'll read again and I'll pick up some things that I didn't notice the first time but big ideas, this is important. This is exactly what we are supposed to be doing. If we're trying to pull kids to higher level thinking and preparing critical, uh, responsible, democratic citizens with integrity and um, people who are able to analyze and defend deep thoughts yeah um I, uh, and I really I have to say this in a time like this uh how he embraces he really really does a good job of uh emphasizing the importance of conflict mm. how it's important conflict and learning go hand in hand yeah and how as educators we need to learn to embrace that so that right. our students can that yeah. was a big takeaway he said he shows that in several different chapters yeah no that's and just the importance of how how many just how many mindset shifts we actually need to have in our pedagogy mm -hmm. to help move kids yeah it's um one of uh the things that i've been talking about you know with uh, another doc student with candy's cook and with dr monroe is this idea of struggle right that struggle is a, a practice that we need in, in the math classroom and it's like this idea of struggle or perseverance like I mean, struggle is conflict too, right? I'm like, I'm, uh, I got some conflict. It could be with a problem, could be within a group, could be whatever. Like, let's not go away from that. Cause yes, those are the places where learning happens. And we know that. I mean, we all know that from, you know, the, the best workouts there were things that are tough to get through, right? If it was easy, then you weren't really stretching yourself. And so same thing goes for in the classroom. How do we create environments and safe places, right? Where that, those conflict can happen. And and he lays the groundwork. It's such, uh, such good stuff. Yeah, I, I know this is like one of those, um, 
things. It's like, I think about my teaching toolbox and I'm like, just, yes, just like, yes. I'm like grabbing some things. And then all of a sudden, like I'm, I'm through halfway and I'm like, I'm underlining more than I'm not. And it's like, okay, I just need to turn this box upside down and just dump the whole thing into my toolbox. And so, yeah. And stuff. my quote box, so many amazing quotes. Yeah. In here. Yeah. He's, he's got some good, definitely some good stuff. Um, so we already mentioned that we both are doing the, uh, good news that we've, we, we've kind of taken something from, from the, from his, uh, toolbox, put it in our own. What else, anything else that either one you'd have done differently or you have done differently since reading this book? So something that I definitely would have done differently. I wish I had heard of this. It seems so simple, but it's really a great, well, I'm an acronym person. I really like the press. Yes. Yes. I'm like, wow, that would be so helpful. I definitely want to talk more about that. What what is press? um, Press actually, he talks about on, I believe uh, it's on page 24, basically the art of avoiding rambling. Now, uh, kids do this quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, They ramble and teaching them how to press is extremely helpful, but it's also helpful if you're teaching writing and summary. Uh, I taught, I, I mentioned that I taught fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, if I had press back then, it would take <laughs> So much time. I know you're laughing because you've got little ones. Yeah, yeah, I got a sixth grader. Well, I need to teach a press. <laughs> when they're little and you ask them what happened or what's wrong, or they tell you something, they go all the way around. It's like, just get to the point. <laughs> what do you need? You know? Yeah. Well, I didn't, I couldn't find this and I couldn't. So you need a pencil. Just yeah, yeah. yo. Uh, <laughs> don't have that. Yeah, yeah. Get to so and the, just so press P R E S. State your point. Uh, the main which is your main idea. Then your reason, your R reason yes. why you think it's so. Then an example, the evidence that backs you up. Then offer a summary. Restate your main idea. Give me, give me the press. Don't press, yeah. press yeah. forward. That's right. As a teacher, making sure you do it, and then helping your students it saves time and you know we think about time it's so precious you want to make sure that that student's voice is heard but we also have time for others to share right and i feel like that press is good definitely if you're trying to do a dialogic pedagogy because what happens is when people ramble sometimes we miss the point and Mm -hmm. it goes off into something else yeah but also it takes up time from when we were trying to actually meet a goal and then of course press is phenomenal in writing Mm. oh my god summary that's that's a skill that's not going away they make you know right. and right. a lot of babies are still struggling with that <laughs> press you know main yeah. idea what's the point okay mm. give examples what is the reason all this is this aligns with common core this is this is going to get you to uh meeting all the objectives that your administrators and your district has for you anyway when you think about it, it's an, it's an equitable practice as well. When you think, I mean, specifically thinking about my situation, I think, are you teaching remote? Right I now? am. I yeah. Am. Okay. So teaching remote, you know, once you hit zoom to over, like you've got a defined num- amount of time and amount of bandwidth, like of who can be heard. Right. So at one single time, only one person, if you're doing a full class thing, you can do more with breakout rooms, but like that, the value of time and who is being heard and, knowing that if I can encourage press that we are being economical with our uh, space so that more voices can be heard, more thoughts can, and ideas can be brought to the table, more 
uh, you know, conflict within our safe space that we've created can be done. Because if you can create the safest place that people feel really free to share and everything, but if people aren't pressing forward, you know, then we're only ha hearing so many voices, and and that's it's not good, right? We want we want to make sure we have spaces for those people that you know. For me, I was a slow processor. It took me a while to actually finally get to the finally get my point and think about how I want to phrase it and stuff like that. And if all the space is gone, well, then what can you do? And so thinking about some of those folks out there who need that time or, you know, like, how do we make sure that that time is available and encouraging this? It's, it's good. It's not just like, oh, it's good for, you know, we, we got to keep teach kids to summarize. Well, there's a point for that. Because how do we have good conversations if it's a monologue? <laughs> right? Absolutely. And, you know, dealing with remote learning, I have discussion boards. Mm. And you'll have a kid who just writes a sentence. Well, if you tell them, teach them press, yeah. you're going to get a richer and more uh, developed response in that discussion and in those posts. Right. And if they're responding with the press, mm -hmm. giving them direction on how you want them to post to really, really um, enhance the quality of your posts and the dialogue. Yeah. Digital dialogue. We, I'm, I'm still, you know, learning. Oh yeah, we're also working. We're, we're still <laughs> learning, but this is a tool that I'm like, oh, I can use this. Yeah, I'm so so glad you brought that up. Oh my goodness, that was yeah, because that's another one too. It's like, how do we provide structures for to be intentional about how are you going to make your point? And he he does it, and lots of intentionality here. This I, you got to work on your digital dialogue. That's right. Pedagogy. Yeah. Um. I like, for me, it's, you know, I, I think I've always valued building relationships. I've always, you know, from the, you know, my first year teaching, like we didn't do the syllabus first. We did things to establish, you know, ourselves as a, as a class and people that are going to work together. But I think intentionality too about, well, why? Like for, to what end? Not that we need to have, you know, we should be good. We should build relationships no matter what. I think, you know, let's build them, not tear them down. Let's not, you know, let's be intentional about that. But even to think like, I want to be able to have these sorts of conversations. If I can have build relationships where this is that ecosystem where we can have these kind of conversations, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good goal for building relationships. And you think about the relationships you have with people in your life as friends or family, who do you have those relationships with that you can have good conversations with? And it's like, it's, it's, you know, and you can think about those folks. So you're like, you probably have a pretty good relationship with them. Right. And to, to, if we can develop that within a, you know, like a public school classroom, like those sorts of relationships where we can have conflict, where we can talk about things that, um, you know, might tough conversations, these sort of race conversations that he's, that he presents within the class. If we can have those sorts of things, wow, what a, what a beautiful space that would be, you know? And so to have that intentionality behind building relationships, I thought was really good and, and kind of, something I'm thinking about within my own classrooms. It's again, I'm a work in progress. So we're, we're, we're continuing to learn. Anything else for any, so we kind of hit that one. So we talked about differences. How about a uh, critique? Any cr so, loving, a loving critique. <laughs> so this was an awesome book. I wanted more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted more. So like a critique that I have is I really wish he had put like contact information or how we can actually contact him for PD. He talks about how he does PD. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you just have like the Stenhouse publisher because I was trying to reach out to see if I could actually get him for some PD or oh, yeah, yeah. 
Zoom or <laughs> Skype. I'm like, can you, I wish he would have provided his information, you know, yeah. more than just the publishing company. Uh, but he's I'm, on Twitter. I'm, we could reach out to him on Twitter. Yes, yeah, like I'm trying to stalk him and find, yeah. him, find out how we can get him to talk at the university. Yeah. Also, I was, uh, he, he does a really good job. He brings up some really good points about the importance of collaboration and how most teachers haven't been trained on how to get kids to learn how to co collaborate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really wish he had provided more, um, strategies on that and even like a rubric on what that looks like how do you right. know if your students are actually collaborating effectively um he just kind of touches on it and then he gets into building those relationships which of course help you, you need good relationships if you yeah. want people to collaborate effectively but what that looks like because we know it's so important in our world and and i've never been on a job where i didn't have to collaborate with others right so mm -hmm. if we are preparing students to be um college and career ready we need to teach them how to collaborate yeah. with others and i mean i think we're seeing a lot of that right now just in our world in america with the coronavirus somebody said this is the group project and yeah. some the people who always do it are the ones wearing masks and the ones who aren't or like right. yeah. other people are hold, you know like we got to work together right right it's important that we really really actually value collaboration mm -hmm. um he talks about how schools, is, culture of schools is very individualized, is valuing uh -huh. competition, and it's very individualistic, but we need to also teach our kids how to collaborate. Right. Um, and I wish maybe that'll be his next book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be cool, but yeah, yeah. I think that would really, really be helpful, like some strategies and what that looks like, and even how to assess where your kids are in collaboration. Yeah. I like the, um, you know, similar to that is, you know, the, the, some of the exercises that he has at the, some of the end chapters is, you know, aimed at teachers talking to teachers too, yes. which, which is what I like about that. There's some like, um, consistency there, right? So if we're going to do this sort of work within our classrooms, we need to do it between classrooms or between teachers too. And like that there's some sort of consistency there that they're, we're going to model, I, I, I like that. Um, that's not, iron yeah. sharpens iron. That's right. And so that's that's really good to see. But then for me, um, my own critique is is like it's actually more of a, a, a self critique. Is like how to fight against my own inertia, and it's like breaking out of of what I've normally done, like for my classrooms, and thinking about how to because like there's this intentionality, there's things, and there's things I can do. But still, I'm, I'm thinking back to how I set up my classrooms. And it's like, there's, there's still some patterns that I have. And it's like breaking out against them. And so my critique is more, more my own um, than the actual book. Because again, like I said, I dumped out the whole thing into my toolbox. And so trying to put these in, but then still incorporating it into like my own uh, purpose for what I'm doing, right? So, you know, one thing I talk about is leading people to love others through teaching. And so you know, that kind of changes, well, what does it mean to love others? And there's some things in here, like what it means to love others is having these sorts of tough conversations in the classroom. Okay. So how do I create environments for that to happen? How do I make sure that they're, how do I know it, have the ecosystem set up? And so it's, it's, you know, and, and also too, you know, my own positionality, right. And, and even thinking about who I'm teaching in the classroom, who's in the math methods classroom, who am I in position of them? And like, how do I, 
again, still have good conversations. There's a lot of like, not anxiety, but just like, do I have what it takes, you know, sort of thing. Like, and, and I think he gives a lot of things here, but still there, there is something about taking a leap and making the, uh, making the decision to have these sorts of conversations. And so, um, and making sure that they're, they're done in the right intentionality. And then that goes back into the versus the personal catalyst versus the priorities, right. Uh, or those propositions, right. Making sure it's in the right space. So that's good. Um, so we, we did, all right, we're, we're, we're to the last one. The, uh, the sum in seven. I don't know if you had seven words. I had less. I, I, I was really. You were really concise. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if I was going to sum up this book to educators, I'd just say a defense and roadmap for dialogic pedagogy. Bam. Nice. A defense and roadmap for dialogic pedagogy. Love it. He That's defines, great. He tells you why and how. Which is so satisfying, right? You know, like, because if you have one without the other, like, one without the other, one away, you're saying, well, why would I do this? The other way, like, well, how do I do this? And he gives you both. It's so satisfying. I said design safe spaces for tough conversations. Design. Yep, that's six. I got six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, you, you, you were real concise. You got six. I, now, you, yours, I like yours better. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. So you're an ex very experienced teacher with all these sorts of different experiences. I mean, before, before we sign off, I would love to hear what's the best thing you do in your teaching. This was a, a question I love to ask at conferences to teachers I would have interactions with, especially when I was a very inexperienced teacher, but like, what's the best thing you do in your teaching? What's some, what's some golden nugget you could share? So if I had to say what I think is the best thing in my teaching, I would say reflection. Mm. I always tell my students an effective teacher is a reflective teacher. So I always keep a journal, mm. but I'm whenever I, especially whenever I'm starting a new teaching experience and now I'm dissertating. So I'm keeping a dissertation journal, but I constantly do pulse checks mm -hmm. throughout the semester with my students. And I always get the best feedback from my students. A post, did you say a post check? A, a pulse check. Oh, a pulse check. Like ah, check your pulse. pulse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, I, gotcha. I call them a pulse check. Yeah. So it could be an exit slip. Mm -hmm. It could be um, give me a three, two, one. It could be on an essay. Okay, I want you to evaluate your instructor. I want you to evaluate this lesson. What do you think went well? What mm. could have went better? Um, I learned so much and I'm always checking the gauge to see how I can be better. And I have students who will tell you, and I have found that to be the most helpful, be it to, Ooh, they need a little bit more time on that Kahoot or yeah. I can't hear you, you know, Miss right, like, right. really, really. And, uh, in order to remember that reflection, that real key that he talks about listening, you know, when he's talking about dialogic pedagogy, two of the main things, listen patiently, listen actively, listen mm -hmm. is twice. Right. There's no point in having these conversations if you weren't really listening. Right. <laughs> so you need to listen to other perspectives. 
so that you can be better. And Absolutely. take the time to process what you hear. And that's what I'm doing because I'm serious about being a lifelong learner and being a better teacher mm -hmm. and meeting my students' needs and getting to know my students. So I'm constantly coming up with ways to try to learn from them. And so that's why I would say reflection is my best because depending on what that each day is different, you may have a lesson that you think is great. You've done it a right. bunch of times, but this is a new group of kids. <laughs> you know, right. mm -hmm. so you just want to constantly be reflecting on how you can be better. That's really good. Yeah, I I love the way that you said, you know, just that you're being reflective, but then you're also talking to your students. Cause I think for me, sometimes being reflective, like just thinking about myself and my own teeth, like versus like actually talking to the students, like ha getting their feedback. Cause like sometimes you're beating yourself over something when that's the actual thing that they really, that was the good part of the lesson. Like the thing that you maybe Absolutely. you thought oh, I messed up on or something. Something that you're so worried about. I'm like, no, I actually like that. Mm -hmm. like, Okay, well, I'll do that again. Right. It showed the human side of you or something. But then also to say, like, just because you have a, a, a good roadmap for this year does not necessarily mean when there's a new group of students in here that that same roadmap is going to be what's best. Right. And so to be opening to that as well. I, oh, those are good. Those are excellent. Excellent. And with me being in a position now where I'm a teacher educator, mm -hmm. I need to model that for my students. Yes. I need them to know that it doesn't matter how many years I was in the classroom, education is constantly changing. And I, you know, I need them to know that you never arrive. Right. You're always working on yourself. You're always trying to get better. And you're always listening to your students if you're going to be effective. And they need to see that I'm human yeah. <laughs> and that I care and that their experiences, it helps me be student centered. I need them mm -hmm. to see that I prioritize their input, their feelings, their growth. What do they find helpful? I'm trying to model that because I want them to be student-centered educators. It's not about me. It's about what did they gain from my class and how can I effectively help them get to the point that they need to get to? Well, I know you're definitely leading teachers to uh, be more reflective and to keep growing in uh, their development as teachers because, again, you're modeling that uh, you model it for them, but you're also modeling it for us in this uh, by establishing this book club this past summer and helping us talk about not light but fire. So really thankful for that. And so Shamigo, thank you for uh, joining me on this episode of the podcast. And just uh, you know, I know I'm going to see you, but good luck with the rest of your dissertation. I know I'm going to be a, 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 a not just in the sidelines, but hopefully uh, just get to playing the game a little bit <laughs> and see what you get to do. And uh, I'm excited for uh, what's to come, but thank you again for joining us to talk about Not Light the Fire by Matthew Kay. Thank you. There it is. Great book, great conversation. So glad Shamiko was willing to share some of her thoughts and ideas about the book, able to have that conversation, still thinking about how to apply some of the things that, uh, Matthew R.K. shared within the book and just excited to engage in these conversations, engage in this conversation about having conversations. And so now looking forward to put some of this stuff into action. So that is all I have for this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Show notes for this podcast can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 32. 
And then also, if you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. That's always helpful. Subscribe to the Eminem Planet download. We talked about that at the beginning of the podcast, which contains teaching resources and updates for Eminem Planet. And you can also respond to any of those emails with ideas, suggestions, whatever you have that you think might be helpful for those figuring out how to teach better. Follow at Amadon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amadon Planet Facebook page. You can also check out the Amadon Planet store or Amadon Planet bookshop. Links in the footer at amadonplanet.com or in any of the show notes. You can also find the links there. Any of your purchases there support the production costs of the podcast. In conclusion, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amadon Planet podcast. Thanks to Shamiko Ellis for sharing her expertise. Thanks to Matthew R.K. for writing an awesome book and for the University of Mississippi School of Education for sponsoring the book club this summer. And also thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. Again, if you want to, we had Matthew on a few episodes ago, but if you want to check out his music, go to Spotify, wherever you find music online, and you can search for his single each day, and he's got more music coming out in the very near future. Finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace.